Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll have those stories for you in just a moment. But we begin tonight with breaking news of a plane crash at Langley Airport. Let's go straight to our Krista Dow, who's in Langley, with more on what we're learning about how this all unfolded. Krista. Sophie, this was quite the dramatic scene that unfolded here at the Langley Regional Airport. And we actually just saw the Transportation Safety Board arrive on scene. But what we have confirmed at this hour was that we know two people were on board the small plane, believed to be a Cessna 182 when it went down. And from witnesses at the scene, several Good Samaritans came to the rescue. Now, witnesses and fire officials tell us the plane was coming in for a landing when it clipped a truck belonging to the township of Langley. That truck was traveling along 216th Street. The plane then crashed into a fence before landing short of the runway and then catching on fire. Now, we spoke to an aviation instructor who was waiting to depart, and he tells us three or four civilians went in and helped rescue the pilot and passenger before that plane caught fire. I witnessed the aircraft come in super, super low, and it just clipped uh, the top of a pickup truck, and then it had clipped the fence as well just prior to the runway, and uh, it caused the aircraft to swing, and it hit right into the berm nose down, and it immediately went to flames. Since the aircraft had clipped the fence, it caused a lot of that fence to be broken off, so there was access from the road, and a lot of the vehicles, uh, people got out of their vehicles, and they came and ran to the aircraft to help let's get out. Sophie, the couple has been airlifted to hospital, and we believe the driver of that truck is uninjured. And we have been told that the pilot is an avid flyer and has years of experience. So right now, the Transportation Safety Board is expected to be on scene for several hours to investigate why this plane went down. Sophie. I'm sure. All right. Thanks for that. Krista Dow reporting at Langley Airport for us. Now, a new proposal to revitalize Gastown, one that could see the elimination of vehicle traffic in part of the neighborhood. Our Grace Key is live in Gastown with more on the plan rolled out today by the ABC Council majority. How soon could work actually get started on this, Grace? Well, it is a motion that's going to be have to be introduced to council, but one of the ideas is to have Water Street behind me there car free and that pilot project could be seen as early as this summer. If the streets are any indication, there has been a patchwork of repairs in Vancouver's historic gas town over the years. It's one of the first neighborhoods cruise ship passengers see and people living here say it's gone downhill. It doesn't have the same uh, sparkle that it used to. I think uh, one of the, this is one of the biggest tourist spots and tourist attractions that the city has, right? And so if this is the face of the city, I think it's a good idea to kind of upkeep that and draw more people here. The city of Vancouver has announced a plan to revitalize the area and make it a more people-friendly destination. We know that there remains incredibly uh, untapped potential. Decades of underinvestment have led to the deterioration of many of the streets uh, in the neighborhood. 
improperly maintained infrastructure and the lack of a clear, cohesive plan for this neighbourhood has had an impact on residents, businesses and visitors alike. Plans include repairs and improvements on Water Street, a pilot project for a car-free Water Street during select weekends or a summer month, either this year or next. Explore a more permanent pedestrian-friendly Water Street and to make that happen, possibly changing Cordova Street to two-way traffic. I like when on, in the summertime we like bring out the patios onto the streets and it's a little bit more kind of busy. Um, but I don't know about closing off the street. <laughs> I guess I moved here 30 years ago and I've been hearing that they're going to revitalize this area for a long, long time. So I'll believe it when I see it, let's say that. I think right now the stars have aligned that we have a council that is willing to invest in, in uh, our neighborhoods and really takes the importance of public space and building our communities and supporting our small business seriously. So, so far, $10 million has been set aside with additional funding uh, possible in the future. And Councillor Sarah Kirby-Young will be introducing the motion to council next week. Sophie? All right, we'll see what happens with it. Grace Key in Gastown. Grace, thank you. A BC trucking company that's been involved in several collisions with highway overpasses in recent years is defending itself against questions about safety. As Janet Brown reports, government data shows the company has been involved in a significant percentage of incidents. Dashcam video captured these images Monday afternoon as an excavator on a truck smashed into the Puredenville road overpass. No one was hurt, but eastbound traffic was down to a crawl. Monday's incident is still under investigation, and at this point there is no word who was responsible. There have been numerous overpass strikes in recent months. The Transportation Ministry website shows between December 2021 and March of this year, truckers hit overpasses 15 times. Chohan freight drivers are responsible for hitting five overpasses, receiving a carrier suspension. We went to their Alder Grove offices today, but were escorted out. Are you able to talk with us, sir? No. Are you the general manager? No. Thank you. Sir, can you answer some questions for us? In a statement, the company says... Our suspension, just one, not five, was lifted in August of last year after we presented a safety action plan to commercial vehicle safety and enforcement. The plan has been closely followed and our safety score is now within the satisfactory rating. CVSE has closed all investigations into our company and are satisfied with all of the actions we have taken. Transportation Minister Rob Fleming is asked about penalties for those companies whose trucks slam into overpasses. We're going to look at uh, how we enhance compliance and deterrence. There was one company that had struck our infrastructure, I believe, five times. Uh, for three weeks, they were out of business. The BC Trucking Association is also weighing in. What we do know is that training is getting better. We see a lot more drivers going through mandatory entry-level training. In fact, that's the only way you can be licensed in British Columbia now. It's unclear if there will be motor vehicle charges against the driver of the latest incident. Janet Brown, Global News. The Bank of Canada held steady on interest rates last month, but many homeowners and renters say they're growing increasingly anxious about the possibility of another rate hike. As Amadagahi reports, a new nationwide poll has found many families are worried that higher monthly costs could be disastrous for their families' finances. In an attempt to cool down inflation, 
The Bank of Canada raised its target for the overnight rate eight straight times beginning last year. But in the process, it may have also pulled even those who own their homes into the country's affordability crisis. B.C. has been the nexus, really, ground zero for housing hurt for so long. A new study from the Angus Reid Institute shows three in ten Canadian homeowners are having a tough time with their mortgage. That number climbs even higher to 51% for those who have a variable rate. It's not a tremendous surprise what we're seeing. We've known that this was going to trend in that direction for some time. But it's really understanding that the breadth and the scope and the extent to which people are suffering and are struggling. The study also showing Canada-wide half of those with a variable rate mortgage say they've had to take out money from their savings to pay their monthly bills. The situation locally also troubling here in BC 38% with a mortgage say they're having a tough time with it 14% of homeowners say they're underwater on their property and would lose money if they were to sell right now I feel pretty bad for the people right now uh, they just don't have enough money to pay for the mortgage we just want to pay less you know? yeah. so we want to save some money for other stuff like uh, buying grocery and stuff tell me when is your mortgage renewing Mortgage specialists like Spiros Kulira say even if you're on a fixed rate, it's a good idea to be thinking about the renewal in advance. Interest rates have effectively more than tripled, so it's obviously had an impact on people's uh, finances and their cash outflows. Don't just be concerned. Contact a mortgage professional and see what they can do. Uh, to help you. The Angus Reid Institute study also finds the people most concerned are those who may have just entered their mortgage agreement and are now faced with the prospect of unaffordable payments for 25 or more years. Emadagahi, Global News. According to the March real estate sales numbers, the average home price in B.C. is currently sitting at $961,000. In Greater Vancouver, the average value of a detached home is now 1.27 million, the benchmark price for a condo, 786,000. While those numbers are down from all-time highs, prices have been creeping up again, climbing about 5% over the past three months. The situation around that evacuated apartment tower in the Vancouver Island community of Langford continues to get worse. Two neighboring businesses have also been told to vacate, they say, because of concerns over how that a tower might collapse. Kylie Stanton reports. So children would be in here. Instead, the sandbox is covered and the yard sits empty. It's um, definitely hard to see. The building next door casting a large shadow. Wednesday night, they were just told that we need to come out. We have to, to evacuate. McNeil says she was told there would be an assessment on the building to determine which way it would come down if it were to collapse. Whether it's going to fall within itself or around. And if it was going to fall within itself, we were able to go back in, but we still haven't heard anything yet. The notice came just days after the city of Langford revoked the occupancy permit for Ridgeview Place, citing structural concerns forcing tenants out of their units for the second time in the past four years. Shocking. It was a circus over here. Warning signs have since gone up at either end of the street, advising people to avoid the area. That includes this thrift store, now cordoned off and temporarily closed, as well as the Our Lady of the Rosary Parish office. 
its sole occupant, Cynthia Santos, is now scrambling to get out. It's very scary. Every time we go to the office and we try to like make as fast as we could to get anything that we need because we're always thinking about it might fall. It might collapse. In a statement, Centurion Property Associates, the company that owns the 11-story building, said it has engaged a third-party structural engineering firm to best address and remediate these concerns as thoroughly as possible. But no further details were provided. And while Centurion has given tenants $2,500 in compassionate assistance, the city is working to raise even more through community donations. The city will be matching up to $75,000, so we have have a total of $150,000 that could be raised uh, quite quick and soon for the residents of Ridgeview. But at this point, it's not clear if the businesses also affected will see any of those funds, not to mention the 10 families now desperate for daycare. Kylie Stanton, Global News. The provincial government has laid out a new plan to try to tackle thousands of job vacancies over the next decade. And it all starts in the classroom. As Richard Zussman reports, students who enroll in an in-demand program will get a financial break. It's the province's goal. Walk out of one of these, right in to one of these. We need to help people get the skills they need to fill the jobs of today and tomorrow. The B.C. government outlining a new action plan to get students in high-demand jobs. The key to all of this is the expectation the province will have a million new job postings over the next decade. Of those jobs, 80% will need post-secondary training or additional training, and one-third of the jobs will require people to learn new skills. We are seeing the economy change at a pace that we've never witnessed before. And so having the micro-credential, I think, is absolutely critical. This includes 636,000 workers leaving over the next 10 years to be replaced by 474,000 young people and a requirement for 81,500 jobs for new immigrants. We'll be bringing in a new law that will streamline international credential recognition, removing unnecessary barriers and helping newcomers work in their desired and experienced fields sooner. The plan outlines a future skills grant of $3,500 opens 3,000 more tech-relevant post-secondary spaces and increases early childhood education spots by 50% or 400 new jobs. We're making post-secondary education more affordable, more accessible and relevant. Only about 51% of high school students end up on a campus like this one. Critics say the plan doesn't address increasing that number, nor does it address the issue of changing the way the post-secondary institutions in this province are funded. Today's announcement, I think, is creating more uncertainty in the sector and is not going to solve the outcomes of meeting the labour market needs and supporting students. And as an extra incentive to get the needed training, the province will double the maximum for interest-free student loans starting in August. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, when it comes to eligible sectors, the province says workers are needed most in construction, housing, clean energy, and early childhood education. Other areas like healthcare, veterinary care, and teaching are also included in the more than 400 courses. So let's bring in Keith Baldry for more on this. Keith, the trickle-down effect of all these job vacancies, particularly when it comes to construction, is it's taking a lot longer to get anything done. 
Yeah, a lot of schedules are out of whack because of a labor shortage, and it's going to be interesting in the years ahead if we're going to solve that. So here's <coughs> the budget. It contains a lot of information here about that's job-related because this lists all the capital projects that are being built between now and the next few years. We're talking thousands of jobs in construction are required. Here's the numbers in terms of dollars being spent in the four key areas. Transportation, almost $16 billion, Broadway subway line, Patello Bridge and such. Health facilities, various hospitals, more than $13 billion. Post secondary $1.7 billion and K-12 schools an ongoing issue $3.3 billion. We're going to take a closer look at the K-12 situation where the growth is phenomenal is in Syria as we've been reporting double-decker uh, portables and such. The NDP in opposition promised to get rid of all the portables in Syria but a lot of skeptics at the time expressed skepticism because the population is growing so fast and we literally don't have enough people building things quickly enough. Pop, here's an exchange in question period this is uh, this, uh, this morning. This is a direct quote, uh, Honourable Speaker. A total removal of these portables over the course of the next four years, end quote. And I'm sorry if it hurts your feelings, but it was a clear promise and timeline. Not only are we already investing 10,000 new seats, so above the 8,000 also for growth, we know there needs to be more. But, Honourable Speaker, it's not just the the, uh, the structures that we need. We also need to invest in, in the classrooms, in our educators. So new image is crowding the BC political scene. Double-decker portables in Surrey. Never thought we'd see that before. Look for the opposition to continue to exploit this issue in the weeks ahead. Right. Thanks for that, Keith. One day after the verdict in the Miles Gregg coroner's inquest, new calls to revisit the criminal case. We all knew Miles shouldn't have died that day. Reaction from Gray's mother and what the police watchdog is planning next in just over a minute. The life and legacy of Gordon Lightfoot. How Canada's troubadour had to reach far beyond our borders. That's coming up on the News Hour tonight. Plus, thinking it might be in the order of 25,000 strokes to get across and maybe. 12,000 breaths. A former competitive swimmer makes a comeback. The huge challenges he's already overcome and what he's planning next. Right now, though, we are hearing tonight from the mother of Miles Gray. One day after a coroner's jury ruled his death was a homicide. Margie Gray says while she's pleased with that finding, she wants things taken a step further. And, have an, and wants an independent prosecutor to reconsider criminal charges against the officers involved. Kristen Robinson has the story. It's been seven and a half years and now I can finally put that behind me. Margie Gray relieved a coroner's inquest jury classified the August 2015 death of her son a homicide. We all knew Miles shouldn't have died that day. And the truth is out there now. The truth that we've always known. 33-year-old Miles Gray was in a mental health crisis when Vancouver police responded to a 911 call about an agitated man who had sprayed a woman with a garden hose. Seven officers testified they used pepper spray, kicks, punches, chokeholds, and baton strikes to restrain and subdue Gray, who suffered a fractured eye socket, crushed voice box, ruptured testicles and other injuries. Contrary to an earlier report, a toxicologist testified Gray was not intoxicated by any substance when he died. And a pathologist testified Gray likely wouldn't have died had it not been for the actions of Vancouver police. 
it couldn't be anything but homicide. The evidence as it exists today is different than the evidence as it was believed to be in 2019 when this case was referred to the Crown. The Independent Investigations Office forwarded charge recommendations against four officers, but the Crown never approved charges, citing a lack of evidence and no witnesses beyond the officers involved. It should be opened up and it should be looked at by independent prosecution. What provincial oversight exists here? Um, well, the, the charge assessments for the BC Prosecution Service are independent of government decision. The BC Prosecution Service says before any reassessment of charges, the file would need to be resubmitted by the investigating agency or the IIO, which says it's assessing the new evidence before making a decision. We certainly are aware of evidence that uh, was heard last week on a couple of different days um, that was uh, different than what we had been familiar with before. Uh, the real question is what impact will that have? Vancouver's police chief says the VPD is reviewing the jury's recommendations for a review of de-escalation training and the implementation of body cameras for all patrol officers. They should just own what they did and never do it again moving forward. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A warning now about our next story. Some of the details might be unsettling for some people. More graphic testimony today at the trial of the man accused of killing a Burnaby teenager in 2017. The paramedic who assessed the teen in Burnaby Central Park testified her pants were pulled down. She was cold to the touch, pale, ashen gray, with vomit and saliva near her mouth. The Crown has told the jury its theory is that Ibrahim Ali, who's pleaded not guilty to first-degree murder, strangled the girl to death in the course of sexually assaulting her. But when defense asked the paramedic if he saw any injuries to her neck or made note of such injuries, he replied no. The trial came to yet another unexpected halt this afternoon. The judge telling the jury that something he did not anticipate had come up, which had to be addressed. We can't tell you what that was because of a publication ban. We can tell you the judge has asked the jury to return on Thursday. Coming up, fined for parking in a lot she's never visited. I've never been there. I hadn't been there. And please just take away the ticket. The company's response and what happened when Consumer Matters stepped in. Also ahead. A lot of shows will just stop working. Hands up, picket line, pens down, picket lines up. How Hollywood's writer strike could impact BC's film business. Crews are on scene to a much earlier accident here in Vancouver, westbound on Highway 1, just before 1st Avenue. Only two lanes of the three are getting by, and as a result, traffic is backed up almost to Kensington. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services, and that's no accident. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 1 in Vancouver. Quite a shock for a Langley woman who received a parking violation from a parkade she'd never actually visited. 
When the parking company wouldn't offer an explanation, let alone help, she reached out to Consumer Matters reporter Ann Drua, who's here now. Ann? Thanks, Sophie. The last notice Lynn Duncan received in the mail from the parking company stated she owed $175 for a parking violation, and if she didn't pay up, a collections agency would get involved. It was a frustrating situation, especially since Lynn says she had evidence she never attended the parking lot in question. Lynn Duncan says she hasn't visited the city of Vancouver for years, which is why the Langley resident says she was shocked when she received a parking violation notice in the mail accusing her of not paying for a parking spot at this parkade along West 12th in Vancouver. I'm dumbfounded. I mean, how do you get a ticket when you haven't been there? Back in March, Lynn received this letter from Precise Parklink, stating she owed $100 for an outstanding parking violation on February 9th. The license plate on that letter does match Lynn's truck, but she says it's a mistake. I tried to explain to them that maybe somebody had pushed in a, a wrong number or pushed in wrong digits on one of those machines, or somebody had transposed numbers. But... I've had no response. The precise park link letter states a notice was placed on the vehicle at the time of the violation. But Lynn says the company has never provided a copy of that notice or the time it was issued. Critical because Lynn says on the day the company states the ticket was issued, she has proof she was in Langley at this restaurant. In fact, Lynn says she even provided the restaurant receipt and credit card transaction to the parking company. I have not heard from them at all. Then all of a sudden I get another letter saying it's a final notice and I now owe $175. How does this make you feel? Well, rather intimidated and I'm not very easily intimidated. Consumer Matters reached out to Precise Park Link and was told on February 9th, a parker trying to exit the parkade used the company intercom system reporting they had lost their parking ticket and couldn't pay. The Parker's contact info and license plate were taken and the Parker was allowed to leave. Precise Parklink says it will then contact the Parker the next day to collect payment. And if it can't, due to incorrect information, then a parking invoice is created using the license plate number provided. In this case, the Parker exiting the parkade may have provided a different phone number and or license plate number in order to exit the parking facility resulting in us contacting Ms. Duncan. We have since reversed the violation. I got no response until I jumped in. And boom, done. And I truly, truly appreciate all of your help and everything that you did for me. I have actually slept. <laughs> And it appears this isn't the first parking complaint launched against Precise Park Link. Currently, the company has an F rating with the Better Business Bureau. The BBB states on its website the rating is based on the company's failure to respond to 116 complaints. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, good job. Thank you, Ann. It's the first day of the Hollywood writer's strike and already the ripple effects are being felt with some TV shows off the air. As Kamal Karmali reports, with so many productions shot here in B.C., it's only a matter of time before our economy takes a hit. The walkouts began Tuesday. Screenwriters across the U.S. now on strike while their union tries to negotiate a new contract with major Hollywood studios. Oh, it's awful. I mean, 
<laughs> Here in Hollywood North, Vancouver studios are already feeling the heat. Oh, it's already had a huge impact. It uh, effectively shuts down uh, the development of television immediately. Sean Williamson, local producer for series like The Good Doctor. He's not psychotic, he's autistic. And Lucky Hank. The fact that you're here means you show very little promise. Both big hits shot in the Lower Mainland. Some of those shows might have to shut down sooner rather than later. So if you have a greenlit script, you can shoot during the strike. You just can't have the writers change anything. Many shows shot in Metro Vancouver have a direct link to L.A. It may be that the writers in L.A. are driving this work stoppage, but it's service production in B.C., which is all the American television that is written and produced by American writers, but is shot by Canadian crews. The film and TV industry had a $3.6 billion impact on BC's economy last year, creating as many as 70,000 full and part-time jobs. In addition to that, we also have people who work in visual effects and animation, so it's a very robust sector here in BC. And a prolonged strike will threaten new episodes and seasons. Of course, anything that's in the middle of being written or hasn't been written yet, uh, that's the concern. So we don't want this to slow down any of the work that's coming to us in the near future. The last writer strike 15 years ago lasted 100 days. If it's a long strike, it could be months and months before we start shooting. I hope that this time it'll be much shorter. Kamala Karamali, Global News. Coming up, when precious cargo takes on a whole new meaning. A bit of a shock for a Canadian Border Service Agency officer. A cat in a box. Details straight ahead. Plus. Paying tribute to a Canadian hero. More on the passing of Gordon Lightfoot. Good evening and some good news here in Burnaby. Final clearing stages of an earlier two-car crash west on Highway 1 just west of the Douglas overpass. Damage is done though. Traffic is backed up to Sprott. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $18 million. Lotto Max stream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global 1, high above Highway 1 in Burnaby. Well, there are some unanswered questions in an investigation out of Richmond that, unfortunately, the main subject won't be able to answer. It involves this cat, now named Precious Cargo, believed to be a stowaway from China. She was discovered in a box at the Canada Post Depot at YVR. The SPCA says it's not exactly sure if the cat hopped in the box in China or somewhere else, as the plane did make a stopover on the way to Vancouver. Tributes have been pouring in for Gordon Lightfoot since news of his death broke right around this time last evening. Lightfoot's songs were the soundtrack of so many Canadians' lives. And as Global's Kyle Benning reports, his talents were well-recognized beyond our borders as well. What tales his thoughts told. Ontario's Gordon Lightfoot spent half a century writing and performing until he could no more. His 20 studio albums and hundreds of songs have given him the title as one of the founding fathers of folk rock. Those poetic songs, those very compelling um, personal songs, he found a way to express them in a way that touched everybody. He found the universality in the personal. And his touching lyrics 
reached generations. I remember um, spending a little time with him a few years ago when he was playing for Canada's 150 on, uh, on Parliament Hill and was touched by his thoughtful grace and generosity. As well as politicians, authors, astronauts, actors and singers all paid tribute to the man who shared stories of this country, love and heartbreak. Kiefer Sutherland tweeting Canada lost part of itself, noting Lightfoot was one of his heroes. Whether it was sharing stories of Canadian history, nature or his life, Lightfoot kept audiences captured with superstars like Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, Bob Dylan and Barbara Streisand all singing his work. He really knew how to how to get around a song in thoughts and feelings. You know, he really understood heartbreak. He understood loss. He had his ups and he had his downs. Some of those downs include a diagnosis of Bell's palsy in the 70s, substance abuse, and suffering a stroke while performing a live show in 2006. Through it all, Lightfoot said music caught him through everything. Kyle Benning, Global News. A recall to tell you about now, affecting teethers and pacifier clips. Health Canada says a number of mini teethers and pacifier clips under the brand Soros have been recalled due to a choking hazard. There has been one report of a teether breaking, causing the beads to come loose. No injuries have been reported. Health Canada says consumers should immediately stop using the products and throw them away. Still to come, a visually impaired swimmer diving into a daunting challenge. It's 30 kilometers if you swim straight. I don't swim very straight. The genetic condition that claimed his eyesight but couldn't take his spirit. But first... Just a few days of warm weather and the evacuations have begun where residents are swamped by rising waters. BC's big news. The 2023 Canadian Screen Awards have named Global News Hour at 6 the country's best local newscast. Thank you, BC, for making Global News Hour at 6 your choice for news. Residents of a subdivision near Vernon have banded together to try to protect their properties from flooding. The Okanagan Indian Bend has put part of the Parker Cove subdivision on evacuation order after a creek breached the tiger dams that were protecting it from rising waters. Residents from the neighborhood who are not impacted by the flooding and people from other areas are pitching in to help with sandbagging. And about quarter after two this morning, we heard a knock at the door. The doorbell went crazy and we were told that we needed to evacuate. It was frightening. You were in, we're in a deep sleep. We're trying to navigate getting some personal items together and we did the best we could. It's everything. Uh, you know, there's, there's only one person can only do so much. Many hands make light work and we've all pulled together really well. This isn't Parker Cove's first emergency situation. Two years ago, residents were under evacuation for more than a month due to the White Rock Lake wildfire. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon to uh, take a closer look at the potential for flooding in other parts of the province. Christy? 
Sophie, any of the areas that you see highlighted here, really any residents there should be preparing a grab-and-go bag because it, things can change so quickly, fluctuate so fast. You can see rise in Rivers Creek so quickly, especially with the heat that we're seeing right now. We had records again today, and I'll show you those in a second, but uh, quickly. So we do have an area just west of uh, Penticton, sort of just south of Merritt, that is now under a high stream flow advisory. That's a downgrade as of today, but all these areas still under a flood watch and then we certainly have the Cache Creek area still under a flood warning. Let me just give you an idea of uh, the records that we were mentioning. So uh, these are potential records, not yet confirmed by Environment Canada, but Squamish hitting 30.4, Nelson 32 sorry, 30.2, uh, Creston 29.8, and we likely have another handful or so of records. So these are uh, records for the day, not for the month, but nonetheless, a surge in heat. Here's a quick look at the temperatures across the region. So quite a variation uh, by the water versus inland. There's a 10 degree difference. Uh, meanwhile, across the south coast, uh, Vancouver Island region, you can also see that range, but certainly that heat surging, and we're expecting one more day of heat across the region. Reminder, avalanche danger rating is still at a high level in most areas. That means that we still could have see uh, some major avalanches across the region. There's your forecast for your Wednesday. So we are going to see some rainfall across the north coast region and there's a risk of thunderstorms in through the southern interior region extending from far southern regions in the morning shifting further north into the central interior by the end of the day. We'll see some more cloud cover tomorrow but another hot one on the way tomorrow. We are going to come down in temperature later in the day on Thursday and by Friday, much cooler with periods of rain. Here's tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from Port Cal. This is from Rick. He didn't give me his last name. <laughs> nice uh, action shot with the bees there, Rick. Thanks so much. Wow. Got up close and personal. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Christy. Uh, Squires here now with a look ahead to sports and things not looking so great for the Canucks. Yes. Yeah, but for Canucks lost their first two games of their best of five series. So they're basically out of mulligans against Calgary because now they're down to nothing. We know the situation we're in, but I'm not sure the series has changed that much. Um, it's our job to make it a five-gamer. Yeah, the coach knows his team can turn this around with the rest of the series at home. And later tonight, the BC man hoping to make a splash for a good cause. I keep forgetting you don't eat potato chips. I don't eat potato chips. So you said your potato chips were all dressed. I have no idea what that means. It's better to be dressed than obviously you don't want undressed. naked chips. You don't. Not nope. in a family show. Not in a family show. Not at any time, really. I don't know. Here we go. In <laughs> order to stay in the American Hockey League playoffs, the Abbotsford Canucks need a three-game win streak. That's the only way. They lost the first two games of their series in Calgary against the Wranglers. Both the losses were in overtime. It's a best of five, so if you're down 0-2, it's not good. The only good news for the Abbotsford Canucks is the rest of this series is in Abbotsford, starting with game three tomorrow. To Phillips at the faceoff circle, snaps it in and he scores! The Calgary Rangers have the Abbotsford Canucks on the ropes as for the first time this postseason, Abbotsford is on the brink of elimination following back-to-back -back overtime losses. 
I think we're in a really good spot. Uh, mindset wise, you can't get too high or too low. Like if we're up 2-0, our approach shouldn't change that much. We're down 2-0. Yeah, there's desperation. We understand the situation we're in, but uh, we just got to go play our game. Play, play free, play with uh, aggressiveness and detail. And uh, we'll be, we'll have a chance to win. It's easy to understand the reverse psychology at play here because honestly, Abbotsford could be up 2-0 in this series. The Canucks got a pair of shorthanded goals from Archdeep Baines and led 3-1 before penalty trouble cost them the game. Abbotsford taking nine minor penalties and Calgary cashed in big time scoring the game-tying goal and overtime winner on the power play. That can't happen again or the Canucks season ends late Wednesday night. Well, all year we've been um, trying to focus on the little things, um, changing, um, you know, even you know, winning lines, knowing where to dump the puck, um, communication on regroups and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think, um, you know, if we can do those things, so we have a good chance and, you know, just communication out there is key for us. The mistakes, like, I think you got to be focused, making sure that you're reducing those and that, uh, you know, any time, like, any time you have a turnover, that that could be a goal. So everything matters and making sure that you're responsible, but it's been a lot of fun and we're pretty excited to have the home crowd behind us tomorrow. Life moves fast in the AHL playoffs where home ice advantage truly comes into play. If Abby can win on Wednesday night, it's a best of three series with games four and possibly a fifth and deciding game all being played in Abbotsford. Yeah, I think it's it's extremely important and uh, something we're going to feed off for sure. Like we, uh, we saw against Bakersfield what this crowd can do for our game and uh, it's also just extremely fun to play in, so uh, looking forward to it. So the Edmonton Oilers and the Vegas Golden Knights will start their series tomorrow, second round of the NHL playoffs, of course. Just off the strip at T-Mobile, the Oilers were behind Vegas in the regular season standings, but in the Vegas sports books, Edmonton is the favorite. Now, one of the reasons is they have a lethal power play, which in the series against L.A. hit at 56%. But the Knights have a plan, and it's pretty simple. Just don't take penalties. We are the least penalized team in the National Hockey League, so I anticipate we will stay against them. Um, against Winnipeg, we were very disciplined, didn't take a lot of penalties, so that should not change. So I don't anticipate us killing a lot of penalties. On the flip side, they don't always need a lot of opportunities, so that's where we got to be good. Well, that was Bruce Cassidy, the Vegas coach, and that's Matthew Kachuk, game one. Oh, he's getting run over by Luke Shen, the former Canuck treating him like a crash test dummy. It's 2-1 at this point for Florida. They were up 2-0 at one point in this game. Michael Bunting ties it. So now it's 2-2. But the Leafs didn't keep it 2-2 for very long because they allowed Carter Verhage to go in alone. Florida would add one more and they have taken game one against Toronto and just ended 4-2 the final. The BC Lions have drafted defensive lineman Francis Bemi from Southern Utah University, ninth overall in the CFL draft, which is going on right now. He can play anywhere along the defensive line in 49 collegiate games. He had 13 sacks. And in the NBA, Philadelphia's Joel Embiid was named the MVP today. There you go. All right, thank you, Squire. You're welcome. Up next, an epic swim for a good cause. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. A BC man is preparing for an epic swim across the Strait of Georgia. That in itself would be a huge challenge for most other people, but Scott Reese isn't most other people. Reese has been slowly losing his vision, but as Jay Durant shows us, he hasn't lost sight of the bigger picture that anything is possible 
if you try. All right, where's the water? Put it down. That's as far as Caleb can go for now. Scott Reese's guide dog is taking him to the water's edge on another training day. The former competitive swimmer has made a comeback and is now preparing to cross the Strait of Georgia this July to raise money for Canadian guide dogs for the blind. It's 30 kilometers if you swim straight. I don't swim very straight. A headset in his cap will help him navigate the 11-hour swim. Again, more right. You're trending left. You need to go harder right. A recessive genetic condition has caused Reese to slowly lose his vision over the last 20 years. I've gone from what I expect is a relatively normal childhood, doing normal sports and things, to hanging up the car keys, to stopping biking, stopping running. But he's found ways to get back to doing the things he loves with support from family and friends. Max, you're going to have to stay with mommy, okay? And this golden lab has really changed his life. To see him lose his ability to do certain things has been really hard, but having Caleb has brought back a lot of that for him. The last few years have been incredibly difficult. Reese can no longer see the shapes in front of him. I don't know what my kids look like, and I haven't been able to see my wife and her face for the last few years. Luckily, with those who've been around for a long time, I'm able to keep them in my memory. The goal is to raise $30,000 in a huge test of endurance for an athlete who's finding ways to overcome his life's biggest challenge. Scott's the type of guy you're lucky to be around. He's an inspiring person. It changes what people think is possible. It's changed what I think is possible. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, don't forget to email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Scott says on a good day, it would probably take him like eight hours or so, and maybe on a bad day, 10 hours. So good luck. Good luck. He'll do great. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, in July. So the weather will be better for it. Uh, final word on the weather, Christy. Sure. So tomorrow we are expecting another hot one. 19 near the water, 24 degrees inland, and we'll likely see dry conditions Thursday until the evening hours when we do have a chance of showers. Back to you. That's all the time we have for tonight. Thanks for watching, everyone. Good night, all.